This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Kate Shrek, the Director and Service Excellence Coach at Lightbulb Training Solutions. Kate clearly has developed a passion for frontline customer service. What is that, you ask? Well, according to Kate, it's any role that has contact with a customer. And Kate talks us through why we should not be talking to customers in a sales-motivated way. Instead, we can adopt a more human-centered approach by learning how to help people achieve their goals while still achieving financial sustainability in the business. We get some interesting statistics and insights into the power of word of mouth and how that can work for you when customer service is done right. The knock-on effect with new clients coming through the door and more satisfied team members and overall better business outcomes. The discussion is really for everyone, but especially for those who interact with customers on the front line and for those who manage frontline teams. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Kate. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Good, Yanni. Thanks for the chance to come and have a chat. Real pleasure. Let's get into what you're doing with yourself, Kate, in amongst this emerging new way of doing things uh, in the world at the moment. Tell us a little bit about yourself because I know you're very passionate about a few things. I'd love you to talk to that. What am I doing right at this time? I'm going to talk about probably just the last 24 hours. I've spent a lot of time reflecting on what's going on in this new emerging world of COVID and what it means for business. I've had a lot of phone conversations that have really led me to kind of take a beat and sit back and think about it. So, you know, we'll talk more about that as we go ahead. But what am I doing every day? It's the routine of get up, have some breakfast, sit at the computer, do some work, make some phone calls. At two o'clock, the alarm goes off. I go for a walk for about 50 minutes minimum if I can and if the weather lets me. And I put these headphones in and I podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love listening to podcasts. That is my release. And, you know, obviously the health benefits of get outside, get some vitamin D and, you know, use the arms and legs is good too. I think it's really great. A lot of uh, empathy with that as well. I do a bit of uh, walking. I I do at least one walk a day. Just make sure that I keep the body moving and keep the mind also moving forward, uh, especially here in Victoria with the ongoing lockdowns. Psychology is important, isn't it? You focus and uh, dare I say you're even a bit obsessed with frontline customer service. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where that comes from and and then we can sort of lead into light bulb training solutions and tell us about that? So, yeah, I am obsessed with frontline customer service. And if I look backwards and go, well, what led me here? Like, why did I start a couple of businesses that is all about educating and motivating frontline staff? I think it's because, quite honestly, I left school at the end of year 10 Back in the mid-80s, you know, when you got a job offer or you got a job, you did leave school. Born in country, Western Victoria, small country town, you know, the nearest university was a couple of hours away. The conversation at that point, mid-80s, was not about university degrees or anything like that where I grew up. It wasn't to say that that wasn't pathway. It was just, oh, I've got a job and I'm going to go to work. So, of course, my first job was on the front line. I was working full-time in a chemist. And I was very excited because I got, you know, a uniform and a name tag and all that stuff. 
And I was so excited. And then I can clearly remember the first time that I had a customer really, really upset with me. In that pharmacy, we had four managers and that's traditional in pharmacies. They'll have the the pharmacists own the business. And this one actually had four. And I didn't know how to ask for help. The customer abused me in front of other customers. No other staff heard it. And there wasn't anything in place in the workplace that was like, come and vent about this, come and talk about this, anything like that. So I spiraled a bit as a, you know, very naive 15-year-old. And that's not in any way to reflect on, you know, the pharmacists weren't helpful. They were lovely and they would have been, but I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know what to do. So I sucked it up. And that kind of started my path on the front line is you just suck it up. Like customers are getting angry, just suck it up. Customer is always right. You've got to be the person that backs down. All of this was what was happening in my mind. And it was really encouraging because when I started there, they had training. I'd never heard of workplace training. So there was a lot of sales training and there was a little bit of service training. And sales wasn't that strong in the 80s up to the mid 90s in the bank that I was working in. It was very much about look after the customer, know your product knowledge try and match what the customer is happening in the customer's life with what products and services we can offer. And it was, there was no right strict KPIs and targets, you know, things just were allowed to to sort of happen. And it was really enjoyable. And then in the mid nineties, we, we all kind of laughed and said there was this real jolt and we felt like we became a bit like a McDonald's Mm -hmm. because it was, would you like a home loan with that? You know, that's what it was. You never had a conversation without thinking, what can I do as an add-on? How can we upsell? What can we add more? And, oh, there was so much work done on that. And it just, again, as a frontline staff member, it just made me feel like I had lost all control of how I speak. There was scripting with how to answer the phone, you know. So I think the culmination of being a 15-year-old, not knowing how to ask for support and feeling quite jolted by difficult customers, moving into banking, seeing that there is this world of training, Then I eventually moved into management in banking and I tried desperately to give my frontline staff what they needed and the bank had moved from service to strict sales. It was difficult. It was difficult for my team. I have huge empathy for middle-level management now because I was middle-level management. So, you know, you have someone above you telling you what to do and you have to pass that on to people that are in your team and you have no control over any of it and if you're someone like me who has quite a level of way too high level of expectation on herself I tried desperately to please everybody and it was impossible and I fell over like I literally came to work one day and just said I can't do this anymore and I went home and had six weeks I guess you might call it stress leave or burnout or something along those lines but that was when the light bulbs went off I learned a lot about myself. I did counselling. So I had somebody help me work out why am I not enjoying work, what's going on? And a lot of light bulbs went off, which led me to now, 20 odd years later, sitting here running my own business called Lightbulb Training Solutions based on these moments that happened through my career. And it's really now my business is about going into the businesses to give managers the skills, the confidence that they need so that they can get their team to never feel like I did. So I'm the trainer for the frontline teams. I communicate with the leader, absolutely, and I have leadership trainers in my team. That's not my space. I love the frontline. I just think that they feel like they just don't know how powerful they are in a business. And there's generally more frontline staff than managers. (laughs) And the frontline are the ones mainly dealing with the customers. 
you know, the leadership isn't there, sort of number of layers, one or, one or many layers removed. And so they're not getting the raw experience of what the customer is going through as well. You talked about sales and service. Yeah. They're not quite the same thing, are they? That's exactly how you said it, is how we say it. We all say, oh, you know, there's sales and service. And I cringe at that because I think you can sell anything to anyone. To me, service, which is human connection, it is that understanding of body language and tone of voice and even just the slightest look to the left, not not in the sense of are you lying and all that sort of stuff, that's not where I go. It's more about just reading the room, read the feelings, read what's going on and build rapport through conversation, not just through if I say these words, you'll say that and then I'll come back with this and, you know, (laughs) just think we're losing the art of human connection and I think it's an art. And sadly, right now in isolation, yeah, it's it's going to be impacted hugely. Service is not about in servitude. Service is about helping. And that's what service to me is in business. It's just customer service is people helping people. That's my definition of what a business is. It's a small group of people who help a large group of people. I even go a step further and say that uh, we spend too much time obsessing about non-human characteristics of a business, i.e. financial performance and return on investment. I think they're incidental to getting the fundamentals right, which is actually recognising the humans that you're actually serving. You're helping to achieve their goals or support their needs. I I understand that the nature of the, you know, the more people you hit, the more wins you'll get. That's just sales 101, isn't it? You know, you go fire radio. If I ring 100 people, I'll get 20 people will talk to me and all that, I want to get five sales. And if you keep doing 100 calls a day, yeah, maybe you will do that. What I see is you've rung 100 people and you've missed 90 of them. Wouldn't it be better if you made 20 great phone calls a day, five days a week, and did it in a way that communicated respect and took your time and all of that? I... I'm sure that there'd be people even listening now saying, Kate, it doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, that's not the kind of business I'm in. And that's what I know creates high turnover in workplaces. Staff don't love doing it long term. You know, that's why there's so much turnover. It's like it's such a cold way of doing business. And if you're just about hitting the numbers, then I don't know. I'm sure there's people that are drawn to that kind of work, but I'm not. And the, the businesses I work with, they, they really do care about the customers, particularly in healthcare. Like they're, they're people, employees are drawn to the industry because that's what it's geared to do is to help people. So, you know, to rush it through as a numbers thing is just sucks the life out of me. <laughs> I can't do it. And that's in my last few years of banking, that's what happened. How do we kind of just summarise the key dot points on why customer service is important mm-hmm. in, a, in a healthcare organisation? Well, I think it's super clear, first of all, is that the clients, the customers, the patients, whatever term you want to use in healthcare, they have, I know in business, we talk about businesses succeed when they solve pain. In healthcare, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? These people are in pain of some sort and their pain can be in a financial concern as well. So there's two really big areas there. If we had, and the way I like to say, if we just had robots as the communication piece between the patient, the client and the service provider, we wouldn't be solving their pain. We would be adding to it. It is the only thing that humans can do so well. If we lock it down into a robotic kind of conversation and you sit here and you do that and you tick that box and we've lost that opportunity. And we know this, the, the research tells us that the human connection is the thing that can actually alleviate pain. 
why would we not come at it from a service point of view? I know the numbers matter. I know that businesses close because we don't have the turnover and all of that. But if we come at it from a service point of view and we recognise, you know, how many people that we actually helped alleviate their mental pain today or that we took the time to sit with. That's really about the customer experience, isn't it? It's the way that they actually develop that relationship with the business. I get quite uppity about this and it comes from a place of, watching it and seeing it. My mum has multiple sclerosis. She was diagnosed when I was two. So my experience in healthcare has been from birth. I've always been sitting in the doctor's waiting or always waiting for the call. She's had a lot of physio. She's had a lot of home appointment physio. She's had a lot of, I had a brother at um, when I was 14 who was diagnosed with leukaemia. So again, you know, my family uh, in a sense has always been in the healthcare system in one way or another. And we have some terrible examples of just how that smile or that gentle touch wasn't there and the difference that it made to the feeling, not just to my mum, but to my dad, to my family. Like we all were impacted by this very frozen kind of get them in, get them out process. And that was in small business. It wasn't just in big hospitals. So, yeah, understanding how powerful that human thing is, negative when it's not there and positive when it is there is a massive amount of difference, not just to the health of the person that that's being treated. It's interesting. I'm just uh, reflecting on a, a recent encounter, uh, organised a telehealth session with my GP, and that was supposed to be a, a short call. But during the call, the GP actually started in, talking to me about other possible things we hadn't spoken about and we didn't really make some time around. It wasn't a positive experience because now he's wanting to talk to me about the test results from a year ago. I'd argue they're a little bit dated now. What I noticed is when we finished the call, invoice value was greater than what I was expecting. And again, it comes back to one of the foundation skills that we train in, which is the perception and understanding the expectation. We often hear a lot is that, oh, but isn't it just common sense? And I always sort of scoff a little bit of the idea of business leaders will come to me and say, I've, I've got this employee who's really great at their job, but... They just don't use their common sense. Like, so your situation that you talked about then, I go, well, wouldn't it be common sense to say, now we're just reaching the 20 minute mark of our conversation here. Do you want to know more? Or because if, you know, blah, 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 a little bit of context within it and you would have been happy and also probably happily paid more if it had been, you know, a conversation that you wanted to have. Other people go, well, I haven't got time for that. I've got six more people banked up. And I'm like, well, that's the point. Common sense isn't common when it comes to providing excellent service. And the only way you can find out the expectation of the person you're dealing with is to ask a question. And there's no other way to do it. <laughs> How are you feeling? Do you want more information? You know, what, what would you like to do next? And that's what I was thinking on reflection because I was, uh, I was kind of analysing my reaction to it. It did feel as though his motivations were the main agenda mm -hmm. in extending the call duration not necessarily mine. And I think, you know, I think that that would have been a great resolution actually in hindsight if he had actually indicated that there was some other stuff he wanted to talk to me about, but it might actually extend the duration. Yeah. And then I would consent to that and we would go through that process. Then I would have, I wouldn't even be sharing this story with you. No, that's right. And that's, this is the, the nice stat from the 80s that has burned into my brain is that when you do have an experience like that with a provider in any business, you'll tell between eight and 16 people about it. So 
that was pre-social media. So that's in the 80s. You used to verbally tell your friends or your family and you would, in a private conversation, not on a podcast, you would actually say the name of the business or the name of the treatment or the service. You would. You would say, oh, this really annoyed me, and then it spreads. Now we've got Facebook. <laughs> now we've got social media. Now we've got a podcast where we can share and every human's ears are picking up going, oh, that happened to me, that happened to me, and all of a sudden your business can be in dire straits very quickly because of that one little thing <laughs> where we don't understand how important it is to keep connecting. And usually, I, just as a general standard, I would say if you're having a conversation with a, a patient or a client and it's going longer than 10 minutes and you're doing most of the talking, there's the flag. If you're doing most of the talking and it's been a conversation or interaction for more than 10 minutes, stop and ask, how are you feeling? What Can I repeat something? What is it? And that, to me, has always been the red flag. Just keep an eye on the clock. There's definitely an evolution in the tools that can be used to actually build that ongoing, continuous relationship with a customer above and beyond the appointment, you know, because as much yeah. as you can control what happens in that appointment. The marketing that is spent, and I know in our healthcare it's a little different. You don't look at it as I want sick people, but it is the marketing is where the place to come if you're unwell. You spend a lot of money with websites, with whatever we're doing to let people know we're here, we're safe, we're the best place to come to, and then you do that to your customer. <laughs> so you've just undone all the money that you spent, and yet in that one moment at 10 minutes, if that GP had just done a quick mid-summary, as I call it, with where we're at and where we're going next, you could have gone out and absolutely blazed a trail of marketing for them that would have cost them nothing. After that appointment, if there was a contact uh, using a digital mm. health tool, perhaps asking me the question, how did I rate that experience, offered me an opportunity to provide some feedback and then somebody actually followed through on that. Yeah, I do. And I think what you're saying there is important too because if we consider the relationship between you and, say, a GP, so the GP really is in the power seat in that dynamic. The GP has the information and the GP is considered someone also that you may think they're in a position that I really can't push them on anything. So a lot of people feel very intimidated with that relationship, be it a physio or GP or whatever. The, the person who is providing the service has the power, for want of a better word. So if you had, if there had been follow-up from that call from another person in that clinic saying how was the service, you would probably tell them that I wasn't really happy with the way that the GP kind of extended the call and, and I was charged for it. But you might not directly tell the GP just through fear of intimidation or whatever it is that that position brings, which is not intimidation is not the right word, but I think you know what I'm saying. So having a team of people looking after the business rather than saying, oh, well, you know, that's just how they are. It's then saying, okay, I'll tell the person that rang me. The person that rang me then needs to feel very empowered to go back to the GP and say, look, we're just getting a bit of feedback that this, this and this happened. And these are, this is where I say customer service skills and customer service duty of care. There's no hierarchy there. That should be a team of people all having that conversation with the one goal to be a business with a remarkable reputation. But if we, if we say that, oh, well, we can't tell that GP because, you know, they're so busy. It's like, okay, well, there's the problem. We, that's where we've got to start. We've got to break down the walls and go, our customers are everything and everything they say is valuable. Some of them will tell us fibs, some of us will lie, some of them will overinflate, all of that's part of business, but we have to get to understand. The KPI we want to get is how many of our people are truly loving us and telling everyone how great we are. 
there's this thing that happens through the course of our lives. As we get older, we get better at this, by the way, I think anyway, maybe in some cases not. But I think generally when we're younger, if somebody upsets us a little bit, we tend to ostracise, distance, push them away, so to speak. We expect them to just know how we're feeling. There are team members who just prefer not to do the interactions. They just want to come to work and they want to do the tasks and they prefer to sit on their own and they prefer to just know what they're doing, do what they're doing. And then we have the other side of it where there's a lot of people that need to communicate socially with their team members. And and just that difference there can be quite corrosive to a team. And we, we do a lot of disc profiles in our teamwork. And that in itself is a huge light bulb moment because it says there's nothing wrong with either party. There's nothing wrong. Both parties have strengths. But we need to get our isolated person who doesn't communicate a lot, who also is the person who's answering the phone and talking to customers and patients, to understand that their strength in focus and detail and getting stuff done is actually a bit of a weakness when it comes to, or a development area as opposed to weakness, a development area when it comes to talking to to patients and saying, how are you going and what can we do for you? We've also got the high talker, high socialiser whose strength is, you know, welcoming people into the the practice and all of that. And they're fantastic, but they struggle to focus. (laughs) They struggle to get the billing done and all of that. So we go, you know what, we love your energy with people, but we're going to need you to take on a little bit of these traits so that you can blend and become great too. So Having a team of people saying, look, we have to build some sort of workplace friendships is great and that's the goal, but how do we get there? We've got to have some sort of understanding of our differences and give people permission to go, you know what, I need some help to focus or I need some help with time management or I need some help to actually build my people skills. Otherwise, they'll just stay in their spots and they'll protect those spots and they'll fight against having to be different because telling people to change doesn't work. Just telling people, you have to do this more, you have to smile more, you have to talk more, oh, you're so rude on the phone, you have to be more polite. That's just noise. Tell us a little bit more about DISC. Yeah, so DISC for me is, look, DISC is a behavioural profiling tool. There is many, many, many out there. I just chose DISC because it is purely designed for me. I can use it for workplace teams and I use it to help frontline staff understand why some customers or patients or clients come in wanting a stack of information, why others who you give a stack of information forget it all, why some people come in and use a very curt and direct voice and really just want, tell me this, tell me that and shut up, and why others need to sit down and really have you hold their hand and help them through. And those four human behaviours, the the word DISC is D-I-S-C, giving us an idea of the four different human behaviours. So D, have a more dominant behavioural style. I are influencers. They're very um, fun and aspirational and inspirational. Our S style are very soft and calm and sincere. Their strength is actually looking after other people. And our C style are about concise and correct. They like to do things properly. So the joy that I find with DISC is that, unfortunately, I think it was done a lot in the 90s where people actually did the disc programming and come away feeling pigeonholed they felt like oh I'm a D or I'm an S and it's not the essence of disc there's a combination of up to 162 different behavioral style blends so some people have a blend of three of the styles some people have a real strength in two and understanding the differences starts from understanding yourself first 
So I'm a blend of three different styles. I have a team where we all know our styles. We all got our DISC assessment. It's just a, an online assessment that is done. I'm an, I'm an interpreter, so I can interpret and facilitate the assessments. For my team of five people, we have a blend of strengths. So we have a D style, we have an I, we have an S, we have a C, and we have the blend in between. And because we have that language, we can now appoint tasks relevant to our strengths. We can switch tasks. So if I need development in an area, then I'll go sit with the person who's got that strength and talk about them and say, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, how would you do it? And it's just a whole conversation based on what's your strength. And also, how can we blend our styles, change our styles and adapt? And it's not the be all and end all. It's just a really, really practical tool. So DISC is what it's called. You can Google it and you'd find heaps of information about it. But I do recommend that people, if you're going to do an online assessment, if it's free, you get what you pay for. You'll just get a little bit of information. And if you're paying for it, if it doesn't come with an interpreter, who can interpret your results, I highly recommend you dig pretty deep on the value of that because a lot of people are left with questions and anxiety rather than feeling the power of their report. So it's a great tool. I love it. And there's, like I said, there's many out there not called DISC. There's, there's many, 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 many different tools, but they're really powerful. And it was a light bulb moment for me when I first had it done. You're not just exclusively one of those areas. It's just where you may have more of a dominance in terms of or more emphasis in your personality type around that, those particular characteristics. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I like to say it's your comfort zone. So you'll just have an area where you're just more comfortable. It's like an elastic band. So if you go to work and the environment at work requires you to behave differently to your natural style, you will stretch at work. So think of an elastic band. If you're naturally someone who likes to sit alone at home, who enjoys their own time and who doesn't have a lot of socialising and that you're comfortable with, that's your comfort zone. You go to work and you work in a kindergarten. So you are stretching that elastic band. Now you're going to come home quite tired and exhausted. So it doesn't mean you can't do it. It's It takes more energy for you to be in an environment that isn't your natural behavioural style. And over time, if you kept going to work and stretching that rubber band without support, without understanding what's going on, you might hate that workplace and hate that industry, but you've got no clue why because you're perhaps getting rewarded because you're really good at it. And it's because you're stepping outside your comfort zone. So it's about understanding what you do naturally and naturally meaning you don't even think about it. This is just where you sit comfortably. So it's a lot of self-awareness. It's emotional intelligence. It's understanding where am I comfortable Am I stretching? Can I get some help? Or am I just going to be like Kate Shrek, who one day in the bank, the rubber band just snapped? And that's what was happening. I looked back and went, oh, my God, I was rounded by an industry that was all about fast-paced, task-focused. Yep. And I much prefer to take my time and look after people. Any type of business, whether it's a sole proprietor right through to a large team, I think it's really important to understand, have that self-knowledge and have that awareness In the um, health tech sector, we use a concept which we kind of loosely call my user manual. If you were going to start your own business and you're going to hire people, wouldn't you want their user manual? It blows my mind why that's not where you start from. So the disc reports that we do have all that listed in there. It says how to communicate with me, what will stress me, what will I enjoy, how best to motivate me, what are the areas. The disc reporting captures all that for you. And the joy of it is we say, 
you now have got your report, but it isn't the be all and end all. You have to look at it and you, you can disagree with some of it. It isn't the perfect book of you. It is the book of you based on how you answered a, an assessment. And I will tell you that every single time an assessment is done, and I've done over a thousand now, everyone will say it is at least 80% accurate. And that's what we say it should be. There should be 20% where it's not quite on the money because no assessment can account for your ability to consciously change your behaviour. So the assessment might say, Kate Shrek doesn't like confrontation. And that would be true. I don't. But that doesn't mean I can't do it and it doesn't mean I haven't taught myself the skills to negotiate and the ability to be assertive. So it's never going to show in my report that I'm a high-level conflict resolution girl. But I can talk to that and say, well, yeah, that's true naturally, but I've adjusted my behaviour, I've learned some skills, and now this is how I would approach conflict because I know it's not something that I easily can just go straight to. So the reports are a conversation starter. They're not meant to be that this is the be-all and end-all. But I love hearing that you've incorporated the book of me or the manual. What was it called? The- my user manual. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. But when you when you think about it, like if you're sitting there today going, well, I'm going to have a team of people, why would you just work with them for 12 months to work out what they're good at? Why wouldn't you start with, yeah. hey, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. It just, to me, it is. it was a light bulb moment when I got my first report. I'm like, why hasn't everyone got this? Absolutely. And here's the thing, not everybody feels comfortable doing it either. So going to uh, your point around the disc profiling and understanding the different natural characteristics of a person helps you actually adapt your communication style. We've been talking a lot about that customer experience and customer journey and the customer service type model. When you also think about as a business grows from a sole proprietor to now having 5, 10, 12, 15 people in the mix and bigger, within the culture of the organisation, you start to get uh, those characteristics sometimes not being very cohesive and sometimes becoming, uh, you know, you hear terms like toxic or, you know, counterproductive or divisive, us and them. You know, there are these kinds of things that can happen over time. Have you experienced that with the uh, training that you do and and, and what do you recommend for organisations on how to deal with people within the team? So they're not actually talking to customers but it's how they're actually interacting with each other. Right now, I'm hearing a lot about that. As soon as I hear words like toxic, things like that, that to me is an absolute sign that communication is broken down. They're the terms we're using, then that to me is a massive problem. And if it's ignored, it will only grow. And we say nowadays, and it's so true, people don't leave organisations, they leave the manager or they leave the team. Like we're leaving because we don't like the behaviours, it's very rare that we're leaving because we don't like the, the business, so to speak. We like the business. I, I wanted to work in healthcare. I wanted to work wherever I am. I just don't want to work with you or I don't want to work in this culture. So a couple of things that we always work with on those teams first is we have to have a talk about how did you get here? Like what, what have you been doing or what didn't you do? Like let's just have an open and honest conversation. Now these are the conversations that my leadership, my leadership coaches have with the leaders, but the leader's perspective is only one perspective. So just to give you an example, we've got one of my leadership coaches at the moment working with a healthcare team and they're about a team of 100. So there's about, I think they've got team leaders for want of a better word. They've got a mix of doctors and physios and all sorts of things in there. So it's a really different skills academically. It's a different set of skills um, in the sense of 
humanity really it really is like it's just a whole mixing pot so what we're doing is a 12-month program and it's a program that is reaching across the whole organization so I deal obviously with the front line the leadership team get together once a fortnight they've done their disc profiles they sit together now as a team and look at the strength of their team they also do pairs profiling so we can put the two people together who work closely and say right your strengths your development area how we're going to do it the first two appointments were, I would say, healthy, robust debate. <laughs> like really, and we say that in the in the first instance is we have to get this out. One of my trainers, Brad, who uses a great analogy, he draws on the whiteboard and he's got, look, in the middle of the whiteboard, there's a person going, this is where we are. And then we have a, another little stick figure to the right of that. And this is where we want to be. And then to the left of the person in the middle, there's an anchor. And he's saying, we can't go forward to where we want to be unless we work out what are the anchors that are holding us back. And just that little analogy in itself, it shows to them that the behaviours we're doing now, this talk about toxic, this talk about things not going well, they won't go away until we address them and we understand them. The whole business benefits from it. The customer experience benefits from it. The financial results benefit from it. The owner's satisfaction in the business benefits. Everybody's just walking taller, chest out, chin up. Everyone's in a, in a winning mindset. What should they be doing? Is it, does the journey start within? Does a business owner have to sort of look at themselves first? I think, and this is purely based on my experience, personal, and also from conversations that my leadership coaches have with me, there's a certain amount of time and help, help that comes from looking within, but there's got to be a stop because you've only got your own perspective then. You're only ever doing circle work with what you think is right, what you think is wrong, what you think it needs, and then it just you just find yourself doing, you know, merry-go-round stuff. I think the sooner that you engage with somebody that doesn't have any financial investment in the decisions that you're making and in the sense and doesn't have that emotional trigger about the people that you're dealing with. You need to get, it's, it's a coach, it's a counsellor, whatever name you want to call it, you need somebody who has the ability to be like, I call, I have one, it's a business coach, and I call him my backboard. Now, many times all I do is just get the stuff out of my head and verbalise it and say, I wonder if I should do this or this isn't working, blah, 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 I talk, 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 I'm very verbal. And at the end of it, all he's done is just interject with a couple of questions and at the end of it I find my own solution. Now I couldn't have done that by lying awake at three o'clock in the morning and that's generally where you start to know something, something needs addressing here because I can't not think about it. So I say always whether it's a coach for yourself as a business leader, whether you have your own private counselling, whatever it is that you're doing, get it out of your own head. First place I go to is paper, write it down. Just bullet point out the things that you're doing circle work over and that can help you prioritise but it can also help you delete a few things off the list. Then start speaking it and speak it to somebody private, confidential, trustworthy. This is your business. This is important. And I uh, another thing that I was told early in my career, which I value highly, is never complain down. So never share this stuff with your team. And down is a little bit, I don't like the down perception because there's no hierarchy, but don't complain to people who cannot support you 
because they're impacted in the things that you're about to do. So that's not helpful. If you have co-workers, peers, if you have a manager, obviously you go there first. But I say get the external person who isn't engaged in the outcome of your thoughts and decisions because they can't, they speak clearly there. They won't be impacted. You'll have the solution. You just haven't been able to see it because it's been locked inside between your two ears. So, yeah, I highly recommend get out there. Get the, I mean, we've got such great networks available now, you know. All of these people that are just like yourself, like me, so many people are just saying, hey, pick up the phone. Let's just have a chat. I had a chat like this just the other day with a peer who's up in Queensland. And we just, you know, allowed ourselves 20 minutes each just to kind of just let the stuff out and at the end of it we felt better and I'd have crossed one thing off my to-do list because it was it was a I call it a to dumb. In health tech innovation we have a client-centered design model which we call customer experience design and it basically <laughs> acknowledges that the whole idea is that as a business going back to what we we're saying earlier a small group of people helping a large group of people it's working with somebody like yourself to be able to facilitate how to bring all that out and how to sort of set it up into a sequence. Absolutely. And look, one of the mistakes I find a lot of businesses make is that they believe that we can do all this ourselves. That's wonderful. I challenge them to just sort of think, you know, I, I hear this so much is that Kate comes in and runs a training service. So I get the phone call and the phone call is generally, hey, Kate, we've got um, complaints are up or staff are not getting on, all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, okay, okay, what we'll do is and after a 30-minute consult, and I don't just do one size fits all, but generally what I'll start with is a two-hour service excellence insight session, which is for the whole team. And they get to meet Kate, they get to understand the, you know, where I'm coming from and what we're aiming for and all of that. Now, at the end of that, I, I would say four times out of six, the manager or the leader that got me in comes and says, this is amazing. I've been saying this for the last 12 months and you come in for two hours and they listen to you. You said nothing different. <laughs> and I said, but that's the power. That's the thing that is going to help you because most people don't like to be managed, led and trained by the same person because your manager is the person that has the power to hire or fire you. A leader is a person who should be showing you how to do it, but a trainer is the person who's got to work out where you're at, where you want to be, and they're the person that they feel comfortable asking the dumb questions. You don't want to ask your manager the dumb question. You don't want to say to the leader, I don't know how to follow, but the trainer is the person who can, you know, have those conversations and, and empower them to go back and then show the manager or leader. But a lot of teams have managers and leaders who think they have to do the training as well. Or they go, oh, it's too expensive to get a trainer in. And we, of course, go, well, this is why it's not going to work. You're going to spend all this time trying to train people how to be nice. It's not going to come land as well from you as it will from someone who does this for a living and who isn't in the business every day checking up on you. As you were saying that, I was thinking about, again, the school of life, you know, that idea, most of us in relationships, how many times have you been in a position with your uh, wife or husband when uh, somebody else that you meet gives them the same piece of advice that you've been telling them for the last 10 years? And they go, ah, oh, Maxwell Smart. Imagine if we did this. It's like, yes, Max, great idea. Yes, exactly. So, and you don't have, you know, like I'll always say face-to-face -face training is the best. So I can say that from experience and I can say that through research that, you know, having someone in the room, being able to explain human behaviour to humans in a human setting is the way to go. But right yeah. now, 
We'll do, we'll do exactly what we can with what we've got and we're, we're hitting online hard so that we can get the information into the workplaces so the managers can manage, the leaders can lead and the training is our department yeah. when it comes to soft skills. That's what we train in, the soft skills, the people skills. There's one question i like to uh, finish up on and that is um, looking forward. We think about how we're reimagining healthcare going forward. Right. From your point of view, given the the area that you support and advise and facilitate. How do you see healthcare going over the next five years, let's say? I think the conversation now is swinging back around to we really get how important human behaviour, human communication, keeping in touch, all of this is coming out of isolation. I think that we're feeling it. It's physical. We're fatigued by our, our lack of this and our we can't do that. We are aching for human connection. And I think in healthcare particularly, because the healthcare side of our world, now we're looking at it as vital. Now, it sounds stupid, like health is vital, but now it's like, okay, you know, the spotlight's on you guys. And you guys have been one of the industries that has shifted so beautifully and so quickly to adapt how you communicate through telehealth and all of that. And it's, it's I don't know about what it's felt like from your point of view, but as a user of telehealth at the other side of it, it is fantastic. Like the service has just been amazing. My husband recently had a, had his first GP consult over the phone. There was a follow-up phone call. The payment was easier. You know, everything was just seamless from our local service. That went to the same thing we had happen with Healthcare for Animals, our vet, did exactly the same thing. We just felt, and we could feel that the staff were actually enjoying it. There was, there was a different level of communication from them because I think they felt like they had control back. You know, they weren't, they didn't have a waiting room of people sitting there looking at their watches and tapping their feet going when, when, when. So I feel like this is a, this is going to be a fantastic thing in the next five years. Of course, there's a thousand different things to, that I don't know about that could impact it. But from my point of view as a customer, the experience is fantastic. And I'll say that on behalf of my parents who are elderly as well. You know, my mum has MS, obviously. My father is now 91. You know, them just getting to a local appointment has been held before COVID. And now they're like, this is awesome. <laughs> We're teaching them Zoom. We're doing all sorts of things. And they feel back in control. And when your customers feel like they're in control of the service they get, that's powerful. And I can't see how that can be bad. Obviously, pepper that with, there's a thousand things I don't know. I don't, I don't work directly in healthcare. I work across all industries. But I'm really feeling excited about it. So I, I hope that's not controversial. I hope that's the feeling. Let's hope that that's, that's what's going to happen. I think we've made great strides. Okay. Well, look, we'll get a few links uh, into the show notes around your website at Lightbulb Training Solutions. You've got your book as well that people can uh, download and read, The A to Z of Customer the A to Service. Z of- yeah, so that's a chapter book where it's nice and easy where people can just pick it up and pick the chapter. You don't have to read it from front cover to back cover. And for all your wonderful listeners, we've got a nice special gift coming as well. So a nice freebie, no strings attached with that one to help you help your team keep up and keep positive during not just COVID, just all year. So we'll put that in the link in the links as well. I think we've run out of time, but I think you should put a blog up on uh, the story around Princess Fiona and share that link as well because I'm not going to go deep on that. We've run out of time, but uh, it'd be nice to know a little bit more about that. Kate Shrek, thank you very much for taking the time today and having a chat with us. Thank you so much, Yanni. Thanks for listening. 
This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.